Welcome to the Sleep Roundtable podcast. Each week leading up to the 10th annual Sleep Roundtable, I'll be chatting with one of this year's renowned industry expert speakers. If you haven't already, be sure to get registered for the Roundtable. It's the leading dental sleep conference for sleep dentists and their teams. And it's in Dallas on October 7th through 10th. Go to sleeproundtable.com to get registered. Now sit back and get ready to learn a thing or two in preparation for this year's highly anticipated Sleep Roundtable. Enjoy. Top of the morning to you. Top of the morning to you. Happy Friday. So looks like you're at home or is your office that nice? <laughs> I'm at home. I wish, I wish my office were that yeah. nice, uh, but I am heading downtown after this, uh, after we chat. Yeah. yeah, out my window is a pretty boring, yeah, you don't want to see out there. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Emerson Wickwire. He is Associate Professor of Psychiatry and Medicine at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. He's Director of the Insomnia Program at the University of Maryland Midtown Medical Center. But even more important, he's going to be speaking at our 10th Annual Sleep Roundtable in October. Thanks, Dr. Wickwire, for being with us today. My pleasure, Kent. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, I've, I noticed you obviously have a lot of peer-reviewed articles, scientific articles, book chapters, you know, scientific abstracts, et cetera, on sleep. Very impressive. I'm not about this. I love reading research. I love all this stuff. It's fascinating to me. I'm just not very good at it. But that seems to be a passion for you. But also, it seems like, from what I've read, uh, classic literature is a passion. You've even studied some at Oxford. So are those both equal passions? Or how do you marry those two? Is there a, is there a connection of some, some way? I've had the privilege, Kent, of always doing the things that I'm interested in. As a young man, my first love was amateur wrestling. And I had uh, been a competitive athlete and in my uh, all through, I was a division one scholar athlete and those sorts of things. And my first career was coaching high school wrestling and teaching English. And one of the perks of working in independent schools, in fact, I almost moved to St. Mark's School of uh, of, of Texas in Dallas that some of your attendees will know. I opted to go to graduate school instead, um, but that's another uh, another story for another time. But one of the perks of that career choice is graduate education. And so I pursued a graduate degree in English language and literature and studied overseas, as you mentioned. And what I've found, uh, Kent, is that the ways that we think in, uh, uh, in literature actually really parallel what good patient care looks like. And that means that we need to understand where our patients are coming from, who they are as people or characters, if you will, and then how we can, in this case, through improved sleep, really leverage our treatments to care for the whole person. Yeah, that, that really makes sense. I think you bring a very unique background and perspective I've, you know, I've, I heard you years ago, and I've been fascinated with your, your take on this whole field. And so really your contributions to sleep have, have been amazing, the things that you've done uh, as far as the interdisciplinary uh, aspect of it. You even created a model for comprehensive sleep medicine centers across the state. So what led you to, you know, sleep research, advancing that aspect? I mean, what, 
Why research into sleep? We need it. There's no question we need it. But what interested you so much in getting involved in that? Sure. Ken, you mentioned interdisciplinary care. And as you know, by training, I'm a biobehavioral clinical psychologist. And then really, it's been over the past now 20 years that I've focused essentially exclusively on sleep, uh, at least for the past 15, 16, or 17 years. That's really been my, my sole focus. And in many ways, um, psychologists and dentists are kindred spirits uh, under the broad umbrella of sleep medicine because we're non-physician uh, doctoral level providers. And that opens up a number of opportunities, but also presents some challenges that need to be thoughtfully overcome. To my knowledge, I'm one of very few folks in the field who really have worked successfully in a private practice context. And uh, in fact, was very involved in the private practice world that scratched some of my business development itches and doing consultative work in that field and so forth. Uh, but I also that ran its course and I was ready for a change. And around that time, Maryland called and, uh, and recruited me and offered me a job. We'd sort of flirted for a long time. At the time I was living in downtown Baltimore and from our third floor window, I could see the building uh, to which I would soon walk to work. So it was kind of a no brainer. Um, and that's been really uh, just a fantastic move for me and my family. Uh, the research program has, uh, has taken off. And what I find from my current position, Ken, is that I'm able to bring together much more diverse stakeholders than I could in the private sector. In other words, uh, I maintain an active practice. I support continuing medical education and uh, in this case, dental sleep medicine growth, but we also work with private industry partners and foundation partners and do a lot of work for the Department of Defense and so forth. So it's been a very uh, multidisciplinary, if you will, but, but really multi-stakeholder engagement. Yeah, so they, they brought you in to do research, is that right? No, I was actually hired as a, as a as a clinician to build an insomnia program. Oh, okay, all right. So then, but but then you started teaching as well. So what led you into teaching? Did they just they just wanted to hear more, or you just enjoyed teaching? Did you, had you done this previously? It was the research bug. Uh, I'd never done any funded research, although I had a very strong academic training and my doctoral work and things like that were in very. Um, well-regarded uh, research training programs. But the fact was that there's so much that isn't known, and we'll shift to dental sleep medicine uh, as an important example in just a sec, but having worked in the private sector and having had a uh, good understanding of the economics of payer relationships and what do patients want and all those things that your attendees really know uh, if they've been in practice and if they're just joining practice, then, then they're in the process of, of learning it. Uh, there wasn't a strong economic case for why treat sleep disorders to begin with, let alone should we use CPAP or oral appliances or cognitive behavioral treatments or insomnia medications. But just at a high level, economic outcomes are a very important consideration in terms of what makes what makes healthcare happen. Uh, so I was lucky enough to have a strong first grant proposal funded looking at some of those questions. And then I think we're at seven or eight consecutive uh, grants ranging from 
several hundred thousand dollars to, to a couple million dollars. So the idea of engaging stakeholders uh, to improve outcomes for the provider, for the patient, for the health system, particularly with a focus on economic outcomes, has been very well received. Yeah, I know you've done a lot with healthcare utilization rates and, and, and its economic impact on society. I mean, where, where do you see the future there? Is it, is it going to bode well for us sleep dentists? Or are we in trouble? I mean, what are you seeing in the future? Well, I think that the question is to whom? Uh, uh, to whom? And that's the question that we don't ask enough. Kent, I'll give you an example. If you've been in the field of sleep dentistry for more than a week, you've heard someone say that sleep disorders costs a hundred, uh, cost a hundred billion dollars a year or $200 billion a year. And what we need to start doing is breaking down those costs because thankfully neither I nor you receive a check for, for $200 billion uh, at the end of the year. So uh, some of those costs are borne by health insurance companies. Uh, some of those costs are borne by uh, patients. Uh, by that, I mean insurance payments and premiums and so forth on the insurance payer side. The patients have co-pays or they need to take time off from work, whatever it uh, may be. But the vast majority of those costs are actually borne by employers. Now, for most of your attendees, the stakeholder group that matters even more than payers or employers are actually patients. And what do patients care about? Patients don't really care about the AHI or a measure of apnea severity. What they care about goes back to your first question, which is who am I and what's important to me? So can I wake up with more energy in the morning? Is my focus uh, greater? Do I have more time to spend with my family or with my grandkids or to go fishing or bicycling or, or anything else that I enjoy. And I think that that's the real opportunity where sleep dentistry can help because you, Kent, and your students and, and, and colleagues uh, at CME functions like the sleep roundtable know these patients. And so you have uh, a, a mass that's in need of care that they're not receiving anywhere else. And to me, that's uh, just a huge lever. Now, the other untapped potential that we'll talk a little bit about when we're together is helping take care of sleep medicine physicians uh, and primary care physicians for that matter. So if we think about the different stakeholders whom we serve, and we'll talk when we're together about ideas and metrics uh, to uh, assess where you are currently and then to make positive progress in supporting each of these relationships. But sleep docs and primary care docs have needs too. They have needs for fast turnaround. They have needs for prompt reports and satisfied patients. And so sleep dentists are, are the massive unmet need, if you will, is in your current patient population. If you are not asking about sleep, if you're not asking about snoring and signs of obstructive sleep apnea, you're missing it. That's a fact. And so there's an unmet need there. And in addition, sleep dentists, I believe, are an underutilized resource by the field at large. Yeah, I was on a, as, as a matter of fact, just last night on a webinar where there were a panel of sleep specialists. There were about, I don't know, 10 or 12 sleep physicians. And the discussion was revolving around it eventually got to the relationship between those sleep physicians and dentists. 
And there seems to be somewhat of a distrust. It seems like a lot of them think that we're just out for the money and we don't communicate very well with them. And then, you know, some of them mentioned that they're just not effective and we know better. We know these appliances are effective. So I don't know if some of it's a lack of education, if it's a turf battle, I don't know what it is, but gosh, if you could help us with how to better communicate with these doctors who don't seem to trust us very much, that would be fantastic. And I know I'm looking forward to that talk for sure. But um, many of my patients, and you, you, you work with insomnia too, and I don't know if you're going to be talking about that much. Uh, we don't make a lot of money on insomnia. Uh, I would think that that's the bane of a lot of sleep physicians. They don't really want to treat insomnia because they're so difficult and it's largely medication-based. But we have to deal with them because they come in and, and they're, uh, it's, it's part and parcel of what we do. Uh, we hope that as we treat their sleep apnea, that's going to improve. Uh, one thing that I know that you've mentioned that you're going to help us with is how mainly communicate with patients better to how to uh, get them to move forward with treatment. And boy, I'm really looking forward to it. What, what other pearls are you going to help? Are you going to bring to us at the round table? Ken, I think that the three objectives of our time together, and I'm very much looking forward to meeting your group. You've educated uh, a great number of sleep dentists, and there's a huge need. The fact that so many people keep coming back to learn more uh, is a testament in your efforts and these kinds of, of grassroots efforts. It comes back to helping your patients uh, is uh, one of the most important metrics. We'll frankly talk a little bit about self-care, because particularly as some of your attendees uh, are more or less involved in sleep, and there's some trepidation about transitioning into a new field uh, and letting go of some old personal habits and beliefs uh, for that matter uh, yeah. in order to latch on to uh, a new and rising tide, but there's also uncertainty and so forth, particularly during the time of a pandemic. So we'll talk about taking care of patients. We'll talk about taking care of uh, ourselves. And then we'll also talk about taking care of the practice. And that's really where some of those relationships come into play. It's unfortunate, although I understand, and as a psychologist, I can relate personally, that we have to overcome that, that lack of trust. Uh, can if you and I were standing together right now, uh, I'd ask you to stand chest to chest with me as opposed to shoulder to shoulder with me, where rather than maintaining an adversarial position, we are maintaining an aligned position and looking at a new future together, if you will. That's the same approach that we need to adopt metaphorically when we partner with, in this case, sleep medicine physicians, because they have their own perspectives on the world and uh, and our job is not to convince them necessarily of our perspective, but first it's to understand what their perspective is. And within that framework that they are seeing the world, where can we add value? Where can we help? Because we can. Uh, CPAP is not a solution for everyone. Oral appliances are not a solution for everyone. But by working together, we can be caring uh, for more patients than we are currently. So one plus one in this case can equal three. I love that perspective. And we're in a unique time in history right now because of the CPAP recall from Respironics. We don't know where that's all going to go. We don't know how it's going to play out with the psyche of patients who now may have lost trust in CPAP. Uh, we're obviously seeing more of those patients come in. 
but we're also seeing a large percentage that have not been told. The Respironics has not done a good job of communicating with the patients and letting them know that they've recalled their machines. So that's uh, it's going to be a big question mark for the rest of this year. Are, are you seeing that in your practice, Kent, that people are coming in with questions about CPAP and that that's driving an interest in oral appliances? Yes, yes, I am. I just uh, just saw a mom and her son. She came in and she, she said, I want him. He's got an AHI of 6.2 and he's going off to college. Single guy going off to college and she was insisting on him getting a CPAP. And I said, well, we can get him a CPAP. You know, that's, that's not a problem. But incidentally, you know, she loves her CPAP and that's why she wants him to have one. And I said, incidentally, what kind of a CPAP do you have? And she said, oh, I have a Respironics. And I said, have you heard that they recalled these? <laughs> she freaked out, she had no idea. And so I, I hate that they're not communicating with these patients and I don't know the answer for that, but that's not really up to us. But yes, I am seeing those patients come in now. There are some that have been reading about it and I guess it's on some social media networks and maybe in the newspaper. Some are hearing about it, but they're not getting direct communications from Respironics. Maybe ResMed is communicating, but they don't really have an avenue for communicating with them because they don't have their contact information. So who knows? Right, right, right. Well, I think one advantage that dentists have is you can manufacture your, your own devices. And I suspect that a number of your members uh, have considered doing that. The, the, you can distribute the devices in a very different way than sleep physicians can. As you know, that relationship becomes triangulated between the patient and the sleep medicine physician and the home medical equipment or the durable medical equipment company who actually provides CPAP. So in some ways, dentists are able to help their patients solve problems even better than a sleep medicine physician can because you have a direct, you're the provider of the dental device. And when we think about ease of patient experience and improvement in quality of life, those are the things that patients care about. So we'll talk more about that uh, with your, when we're together. And I'm sure that your attendees will have lots of questions. I'm sure they will. As a matter of fact, yeah. First of all, thank you very much for being with me today on this podcast. I am personally looking very forward to hearing your talk. But in addition to that, you're going to be on a panel with two other psychologists. So there's going to be lots of opportunity for Q&A. I myself can think of a lot of questions I'm going to be asking. So get prepared for that. For all of you who have not registered for the roundtable, just go to sleeproundtable.com. You're going to hear some speakers as just like Dr. Wickwire here. He has, I think, had one of the most amazing impacts on sleep medicine of any physician that I know, any doctor that I know, any dentist that I know. So I'm looking forward to that. And, and I just want to show my appreciation for your willingness to come out and speak at the roundtable. Look forward to being with the group. All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, we'll see everybody in October in Dallas, October 7th through 10th. See you then. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Sleep Roundtable podcast. Don't forget to head to sleeproundtable.com to register for the 10th annual Sleep Roundtable and to subscribe to our show. See you in Dallas in October.